Let's all stand up for uh, the call to worship, if you would. And um, I want to share with you, we were, we were uh, have been talking about preparing for this season we call Advent. It's a season of longing for the Lord. And, and we remember how uh, for, for many generations, many centuries, people longed for the Lord to come. They, they uh, knew about sin and from experience and they would hear prophecies and promises that, that God was sending a solution. And, um, and I, was, I wanted to share with you a verse that illustrated that as we prepare our hearts for the season. And oddly enough, the Lord took me to uh, Numbers chapter 24, way back in the very beginning of the Bible. And the, the scene that we have there is this. There is this uh, king of, of a land called Moab, and God's people have been rescued by him out of Egypt, and they're marching through right by Moab, and, and the king of Moab is scared because he knows how God's powers rest upon them, so he hires a man named Balaam, a, a prophet, a seer named Balaam, to put a curse on God's people. Well, God wasn't obviously having any of that. It's a really interesting story with talking donkeys and all kinds of things. You can look it up in your Bible and book the numbers. But what happens is, um, God eventually allows him to go, but under the condition that he only speak what God puts in his mouth to speak. So the king hires him to curse the people of God. They go up on a mountain and see this vast encampment of God's people. And the first time Balaam opens his mouth, he utters a beautiful blessing on the people of God. Saying how they will be the ones who are victorious. All of their enemies will blow up. Fall back and defeat. So the king is furious. He says, well, let's try this one more time, shall we? So he takes him to another place, sets him up, and, and exactly the same thing happens. God, God puts a beautiful prophecy, a beautiful prophecy of blessing in Balaam's mouth about the, the people that are coming through. And again, the king is furious. So, one, so he says, okay, third time's the charm. We're going to try this one more time. And he takes him up. And, and what happens in that third prophecy, that third oracle, is that Balaam looks past the immediate. He looks past the immediate situation, and he looks into the distant future, and this is what it says. We're, we're starting in, in Numbers 24, verse 15. And it says, he, this is talking about Balaam, took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Baor, the oracle of a man whose eye is open." The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. And what he's saying there is that there is no more mystery about what God is going to do. There is no chance of this being wrong. This comes straight from God. And this is what he says in verse 17. Listen, this is beautiful. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, in other words, the people of Israel, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. And can you guys guess with me who the one that rises out of Israel is? His name is Jesus Christ, and he came to rule over all the nations and all the nations. When it talks about crushing this one and ruling over that one, it's not necessarily talking at this point in history of a violent outbreak, but, but, but calling those who were his enemies to himself, to submission to himself. And if you are in this room as a believer in Jesus Christ, that includes you. No matter what your national origin is, no matter what your ethnicity is, if, uh, the Lord, praise God, has conquered your heart through Jesus. A star has risen out of Jacob, and his scepter has come out of Israel, and he rules and he reigns. And this is what we're celebrating at Advent. We're looking forward with those who look forward for so long to, to Jesus we know He's come in the flesh, but we're looking forward to putting ourselves in that place of longing for Him. And we're longing for Him to now to come into our lives, into our, into our work, into our families, into 
our church service, into, into everything that we do for our, our lives being permeated with the one, the star that rises out of Jacob and the scepter that comes out of Israel. And so will you just bow your heads with me for a moment and ask God to return us to that place of longing for the coming of the power and the rule and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you that we are the people, as we say all the time, on this side of, of history's pages, Lord, where you have come and you have conquered and you have defeated the devil. You've defeated sin. You've defeated death. Lord, you, you are victor. Your scepter has been raised high over all the nations. Lord, we look forward and we long for a day when you will physically subdue all the nations and be enthroned here with us, making your dwelling place among men, where God will dwell with man and man with God. And we, we long for that day. But in this moment, Lord God, we pray that where we see uh, God, not, not by, by sight, but by faith, Lord, we pray that you would perfect our longing, that we would long for you, that we would not be ignorant of your, of your uh, reign, and that we would long for you to come into our lives, into our worship, into our work, into our, our fellowship, Lord, that you would just permeate everything about us. God, we, we long for you to rest, make your resting place with us, Lord God. And we call out for you, Lord, to be exalted among us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken blessing over us as those who, according to the promise of Abraham, have come out of Israel. That you've spoken blessing to us and not a curse through Jesus. That Jesus confirmed the blessing that rests upon us as the sons of Abraham by faith. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we praise you, we glorify you, empower our worship this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall come, or shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your incredible story um, that we get to be a part of. Uh, thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. God with man. And Lord, I pray that in the coming weeks we would um, be able to see and recognize um, what a glorious statement that is. What a glorious name that is. Um, Lord, I pray now that you would um, humble our hearts to receive your word, Lord. I pray that you would um, provide fertile soil in our hearts um, for your word to take root and produce a crop. God, I pray that as we leave this morning, we would be uh, strengthened and encouraged and built up uh, by your word. And Lord, um, we want to acknowledge and recognize that um, our only hope for change, our only hope for sanctification, our only hope for glory is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so I pray that you would speak um, through me this morning, um, and that you would encourage and strengthen our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys go ahead and have a seat. Um, it is great to be with you as always. I hope everyone had a really wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, I know our family did. It was a little different this year than in years past. It was just the five of us, but um, we have, can I just say, because I've, you know, I've seen it over and over, and you know, there's truth to it. You know, 2020 
has, has been a rough year. But church, we have so much to be thankful for. Um, so I hope you had a good time with your family. And for those of you that are not aware, you probably are by now in the service, um, but today is actually the first Sunday of Advent. Um, now, for those of you not familiar um, with that term, the word Advent means the coming of someone or something significant. And so Advent, Advent means an anticipation, an awaiting of something important. And in the church, Advent is the season leading up to Christmas where we contemplate and celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. And so in the Advent season, we want to look back and we want to remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus or his incarnation. Um, but Advent is a lot more than just that. Because also as the church, we are to look forward and we are to anticipate and wait hopefully for the second coming of Jesus. And so that's what we want to do here at Northridge over the next four weeks. And instead of being overwhelmed and, and bogged down by the, the commercial side of, of the holiday season, right? There's so much that goes on in these coming weeks. There's, there's all the, the, the parties, the shopping, the decorating, um, the gift giving, um, on and on. But we want to be, as the people of God, intentional in these coming weeks to focus on and celebrate what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing for His people today, and what Jesus has promised that He will do in the future. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks on a series entitled Emmanuel, which as we uh, just read, means God is with us. And I hope that in a few weeks from now, we can understand truly how glorious and awesome that little phrase is. If, if we think about um, the history of mankind, if we think about our rebellion and our sinfulness, our hatred of God, then to be able to talk about God with us is absolutely incredible. Now, when we hear the name Emmanuel, we tend to think of the incarnation or the birth of Jesus, right? So Emmanuel is when Jesus took on human flesh and he came to earth and he lived a life on earth and he died for us in order to save us. And of course, all of that is is completely true. Um, But what I want you to see in the coming weeks is that Emmanuel, God with us, is not just... The Christmas story. Uh, But Emmanuel, God with us, it's so much bigger than that. It's the story of God and His people, including you, including me, that begins at creation, runs all the way through the Bible, and will one day be fulfilled when Jesus comes again to redeem His creation once and for all. So, uh, to quote Julie Andrews, uh, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. I hope a couple of you get that reference. Um, Genesis 1.1. I'm serious. Let's start at the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, I, uh, I just finished a book recently uh, by a guy named Joshua Ryan Butler. He's a pastor in Portland, Oregon, which is where I'm originally from. Um, And he talks about how you can tell a lot about a story uh, from the way it begins. Um, So, for example, uh, one of my, probably my absolute favorite book as a kid, and still one of my very favorite books to this day, begins like this. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Um, How many have read that book? All right, you guys are my friends. Um, the rest of you will have to will have to see. But 
In a hole in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Now, you may have never read that book, but you most likely can surmise that this is going to be a book and a story about a hobbit, whatever that might be, right? And so we read in Genesis 1-1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So from Genesis 1-1, we can probably have a good idea that the Bible or God's story is going to be a story about heaven and earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, what you need to understand is that in the scriptures, heaven refers to where God dwells and earth refers to where we dwell, mankind. So I'll give you just one example of many. Psalm 115.16 says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He has given to the children of man. So in Genesis, the very first verse of the very first book of the Bible, we see that God creates heaven and earth, and there exists then a harmony between heaven and earth, right? There's a, a union, if you will, between heaven and earth. We read in the beginning of Genesis that God is with Adam and Eve in a very literal sense. God walks and talks with mankind in the garden. And that's, that's so significant. And the point is that God and man are living and dwelling together. And so there's a perfect relationship, there's a a perfect unity, there's a perfect intimacy between God and mankind. And that church, that is the purpose of creation. Emmanuel, God with us. God dwelling with us. Um, Quite a few years back now, Katie and I decided that we wanted to... Uh, start a family and have children. Um, our early years of marriage, you know, we weren't totally sold on that idea. Um, you know, we thought, you know, we'll just wait and see. But we weren't we weren't dying to to have kids and start a family right away when we got married. But there was a point where all of a sudden, in both of our hearts, that just changed. And and God um, God put the desire in our hearts um, to have children to start a family. And our purpose then in having children um, was not just for entertainment value, although there's certainly plenty of that, right? Those of you who have had kids can attest to that. Our, our purpose in having children um, was not to feel more fulfilled in our own lives, although certainly there's, there's great and incredible fulfillment that comes with having and raising children. Our purpose... Um, in having children was not just so that we could have someone to take care of us in our old age. Although we're definitely counting on that, um, if my kids are listening. Um, we'll, we'll certainly be expecting that someday. Um, our purpose in having children was not just so we could have um, some kind of positive societal impact in the world. Although certainly our prayer is that our children will be a positive impact for society now and and in their future lives. But our purpose in having kids and having a family was so that we could share our lives, our love, and the love of Jesus with them. So I want you to hear this. God, God did not create you so that you could simply... Enjoy a nice, pleasant existence here on planet Earth. That was not his primary purpose in creating you. God did not create you with the intention then of leaving you to your own devices so you could enjoy your own life independently from him. God created you because he wanted to be with you. He wanted to dwell with you. He created you so that He could share His overflowing life with you. His overflowing life and love with you, with us. That's why He created you. So Paul can say in Ephesians 1 that God chose you. He chose us to belong to Himself before the foundations of the world. God's purpose from the very beginning, even before creation, has always and will always be to be with, to dwell with you, His people. 
So what went wrong? Well, you know, we, we know what comes next in the story, right? When we get to Genesis 3, um, Satan, disguised as the serpent, uh, comes and he deceives Adam and Eve, and he convinces them that maybe, just maybe, God's not quite as good as you thought he was. Or maybe, just maybe, God doesn't really want the best for you. And maybe, just maybe, God really isn't all loving. You know, maybe, in fact, maybe God is holding out on you. You ever struggle with, with thoughts like that? Those are, those are thoughts that come straight from the devil. And Adam and Eve, I mean, they, they fall for it. Big time. They believe the serpent and they disobey God's direct command and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and there's a lot that we could say and unpack from that passage and what all that means and represents. But, but I want you to see this. Is that Adam and Eve are declaring their independence from God. Adam and Eve are distancing themselves from God. To the God who created heaven and earth to be with his people. They're saying, we want to do things our own way. We want to go our own way. We want to do it our way. Um, How many of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son? I'm I'm guessing probably most of you. uh, From Luke chapter 15, right? Um, Let me read you just... Um, a couple verses from the story. Uh, so this is Luke chapter 15. It says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So in the story that Jesus tells, uh, we have a young son, and this son has a loving father. A loving father who has a great and incredible inheritance in store for his son. But the son wants to take his promised inheritance, and he wants to go off and enjoy it independently on his own. And so he demands that his father give him his inheritance now. And his, his father allows it. So the son takes his inheritance and he leaves the father and he squanders what his father has graciously given him on reckless living. And this story of the prodigal son um, serves as a really good picture of what Adam and Eve are doing in the Garden of Eden. You see, see, God is our loving Father. And, and God creates Adam and Eve and He gives them literally everything, right? And He walks with them and He talks with them and He loves them and, and He dwells with them and He has an immense inheritance for them. He gives them the whole earth to be stewards over, right? But Adam and Eve... They want their independence. And just like the prodigal son, they take their inheritance and they leave. They reject their loving father. And God, God the Father, allows this rejection. He allows them to declare their independence from Him. But it comes at a tremendous cost, right? comes with tremendous consequence. And so, in the biblical story, in God's story to this point, we see an all-loving God and Father creating heaven and earth to exist in harmony together so that God can be with us, so that God can be Emmanuel dwelling with His people. But man rebels against God, and the result then is a fracturing of this relationship between heaven and earth. And so God's good creation becomes cursed and ravaged by sin. God's intimacy, God's relationship with His people that He created is broken. 
And the greatest consequence of Adam and Eve's rebellion is that they are cast out of the presence of their loving Father, of the King of Kings. So God then withdraws Himself from mankind. God makes His home in heaven. He leaves mankind to work and toil on the earth without Him. And that ultimately is the real curse, is life without the presence of God. And at the end of Genesis 3, God then is no longer dwelling with His people. That relationship is broken. And the story could have been over at that point, right? Um, God could have given up and been finished with us. But the good news of the gospel is that God never gives up on his creation. God never gives up on his people. He could have abandoned us, destroyed us, forgotten us, but he didn't do that because above all, God is a loving father and God loves his children fiercely with a never-ending love. But the question then that begs to be asked at the end of Genesis 3 is how can man possibly dwell with God again? Right? The relationship in Eden is broken. So how can that ever possibly be restored again? How can this fracture between heaven and earth be made right? Can it be made right again? And the answer that the Old Testament gives us is that on our side of things, there is nothing that can be done to restore God's presence with us. And so one of the primary purposes of the Old Testament is to show us that if man will dwell with God again, it won't be based on anything that you and I can do or accomplish, but it will be based solely on the work of God and what He can do. And our only hope, our only hope to be delivered from the work of the serpent, our only hope to dwell with God again, our only hope for Emmanuel is for God to send a Savior, a Rescuer, a Redeemer. That is the only hope that we have. And there's a, there's a great picture of this in the book of Exodus and the story um, of the Red Sea where, where God has brought His people out of Israel and He leads them through the Red Sea and delivers them safely. And so if, if you'll remember um, in Exodus, um, God's people, the Israelites, have been enslaved in Egypt for, for around 400 years. They've been ruthlessly oppressed. But God then, at, at this point in the story, God has miraculously brought His people out of Egypt by His mighty hand, um, by sending ten plagues on the Egyptians. And Israel then is finally allowed to leave. And so th- they, they make their exodus out of Egypt and they come to um, this this large body of water. And right as they're probably just about thinking... And we've made it now. We're we're good. We're set. We're finally free. We're finally out of Egypt. They they come to this large body of water in front of them, and then oh great, look who's coming up behind us. Here comes the Egyptian army again. Apparently they've changed their mind and they're back. So Israel is literally trapped. Right? They've got a. a a body of water in front of them. They've got a massive army behind them. Um, so they are in big trouble here. Um, they literally have zero hope for escape from this situation. There is nothing that they can do. And so listen then what God says to them through Moses. This is Exodus 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God... He, he could have said, I'm, you know, I'm done with you, I'm finished, you had your chance, you blew it, and it's over. The father, in the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15, he could have said, no, you had your chance, it's done, you are not my son anymore. But instead, God says to his rebellious and sinful people, fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord. I will fight for you. And here's, here's your part. Here's what you have to do. All you have to do is be silent. We are, church, we are helpless. We are incapable of restoring God's presence with man. We can't do it. Every Every attempt that we make to, to regain access into the presence of God is completely and utterly futile. Um, the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 is, you know, makes that very clear, I think. But God's plans, God's purposes can never, ever be frustrated, can never be stopped And God's purpose has always been Emmanuel, to dwell with his people, to dwell with you. He is not done with his people. He's not done with you. That's good news. That's why he promises in Genesis 3, verse 15, he promises to crush the head of the serpent. God is saying that he will send someone who will destroy the work of the devil. See, the work of the devil was to fracture the relationship, to ruin the relationship between heaven and earth, to ruin the relationship between God and man. But by crushing the serpent's head, God is promising to redeem and to restore His creation. God is promising that He will dwell with His people again. Mankind's rebellion can't get in the way with that, of that. The work of the devil can't stop that. Nothing can stop or frustrate God's purpose. God will go to every length to save and to bless and to be with His people. Um, I read a, a story recently about a young woman uh, named Ashley. And um, uh, she got pregnant and was overjoyed to, um, to welcome a new baby, uh, a new life into the world, um, as, as every mother can attest to. What an incredible joy that is. Um, but soon after that, she was diagnosed with cancer, um, fairly aggressive form. And the doctors told her that... Um, to have any chance with the cancer, she'd have to go through some uh, fairly, um, uh, you know, aggressive chemotherapy. And the, uh, the unborn child would not survive that treatment. And so her doctors advised then that she should have uh, the baby aborted so that she could receive the treatment that she needed and continue to live. Um, but that was something that Ashley was not willing to do. Um, she was not willing to give up or sacrifice the life of her unborn child. And so um, she skipped uh, the cancer treatment and uh, she had her baby. Um, and then soon after that, she passed away from the cancer. Um, but I, I think about that story Um, And then I think about what Jesus says, um, which is that if, if we as sinful parents, right, if we as sinful human beings delight in giving good things and blessing our children, how much more 
does our perfect Heavenly Father delight in blessing His children and His people. God will go to every length to save, to bless, and to be with His people. And in the coming weeks, we want to look at and celebrate the incredible lengths that God did go to in order to be with us, in order to be with His people. And so... Um, I want to close this morning with with these verses from Ezekiel, um, chapter 37, verses 26 to 28. Here's what it says. It says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Now, that's an incredible promise. But that's a promise that's made to a people who are living in exile. Ezekiel is prophesying to Jews who were deported from Judah to Babylon. And so these are people living in exile. These are a people longing for deliverance, longing for a Savior, longing for someone to restore them to the promised land. And this is God's promise to a rebellious people living apart from Him in exile. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so I want you to, I want you to hear this and, and really get this um, in your hearts this morning. Before God ever made you, um, before He created the heavens and the earth, God's purpose and God's desire has been to know you, and to be with you. I'm I'm talking about each one of you individually. God's desire is to, to know and be with Nita, and Bethany, and Matthew, and Amber, and Eddie. Um, God's desire is to dwell with you. And... I recognize that many of us, I don't include myself in this, but but many have had challenging relationships with their fathers over the year. Some of you you had fathers that were never present in your life. Um, Some of you had fathers that... Um, that were never around or that, that battled addiction. Some of you had fathers that were just so, um, so, you know, obsessed and occupied with their careers that they just didn't have a whole lot of time to be with you and show that they cared for you. Um, some of you had fathers that just apparently had more important things to do than to be with you and invest in you. And so I, I think a lot of times then we, we take those hurts and we take those feelings and we project those on God the Father and we think, you know, that's, that's an awesome idea. God wants to be with me. But, but this is God we're talking about. And surely God is way too important and way too busy and has way more important things to deal with than wanting to be with me and wanting to dwell with me specifically and caring about me and all my mundane problems and issues. But God's purpose, I'll say it again, God's purpose when He made you, God made you because He wants to know you and He wants to be with you and He wants to dwell with you, you personally, uh, for all eternity. The story of Adam and Eve's rebellion is the story of our rebellion. It, we, tend to, we tend to look at Adam and Eve and think, well, I would have done better, right? I would not have eaten the fruit. I would have withstood the temptation. I would have honored and served God perfectly in the, in the garden paradise. 
Um, but we, we wouldn't have. We have all chosen to go our own way, like the prodigal son. We have all rejected our Father, our loving, gracious Father. And yet, God never gave up on you. He hasn't given up on me. And God's promise throughout the Old Testament is that He will make a way for us to be with Him again. He will send Emmanuel. So, for this first week of Advent, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. Um, First, um, let's reflect this week on our need for a Savior. The reality is we are a broken and sinful people living in a broken and sinful world. So in this season, let's acknowledge our spiritual poverty. Let's acknowledge our desperate need for Jesus. Let's, let's talk with our, our children, our families, about our desperate need for Jesus. Parents, take this opportunity to tell your kids that you are in need of forgiveness and the grace of God just as much as they are. They need to hear that from you. Let's take this season, let's take this week to acknowledge that we need a Savior. We need Jesus. But we don't stop there. Um, Let's also give thanks this week that God did not abandon us in our brokenness. Let's give thanks for the promise of God to send light into our darkness. Let's give thanks that God's purpose for us, for you and for me, is not exile, uh, but Emmanuel. God with us. Let's pray together. Father, it is... It is so humbling and it's hard to believe that you truly desire to be with and to dwell with us. Lord, we deserved um, we deserved your wrath and your judgment. We deserve to be given up on. Um, and yet you demonstrated to us mercy and grace. Um as great as our sin and our rebellion is, Lord, your, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness is more. Um, and Lord, we just, we want to, to celebrate that this week. We want to have hearts overflowing with thanksgiving. Lord, I, I pray that you would keep us from all the distractions that go along with this season. I pray that each day um, we, would, we would wake up and we would rejoice in and give thanks that your purpose for us is, is not, not to be exiled from you, cast out of your presence forever, but your purpose for us is that we might dwell with you, with God. Lord, that is... Awesome and wonderful. And may it encourage and strengthen and fortify our hearts in this season, Lord. We thank you for your awesome and your incredible plans and purposes. And that no power, no authority in heaven or on earth can come in the way of your purpose for your people, Lord. So for that, we give you thanks. We rejoice. Lord, we honor you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're going to um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper um, this morning together, as we always do. Um, and in a moment, I'll read um, uh, from First Corinthians. Um, but as we come to the table, um, the the table is a reminder to us, first of all. Um, of our sinfulness and our need for a Savior, right? The body of Jesus was broken and the blood of Jesus was spilled um, because of my sin, my rebellion, because of your sin, your rebellion. And the table reminds us that we need a Savior. But at the same time, 
the table reminds us of God's gracious invitation. The table reminds us of the extravagant grace and mercy of our incredible God and that He has provided for us and given us everything that we could ever need. And so I want to invite you, um, if you'll come and take one of these uh, packages and then go back to your seat. Um, And then in just a moment, um, we will celebrate and take this together. And then in response, we're going to sing another song of praise to the Lord. So go ahead and come. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Father, thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for your blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that is greater than our sin, Lord. And thank you that because of Jesus, we can enter your presence this morning and every day, um, not, not with fear, not with anxiety, Um, but with confidence, um, knowing that you have paid the price for our sin, knowing that because of you, we are counted as righteous and clean and holy in God's sight, Lord. And so we just want to, we just want to give you thanks, Lord, give you praise, rejoice, um, for who you are, for what you've done. We want to give thanks, Lord, um, for Emmanuel, for God with us. Um, Lord, and, and I pray that in the weeks to come, um, you would just continue to encourage us and, and, and build up our hearts um, to, to, to be thankful and to rejoice, to give thanks for all that you've done, Lord. You have truly been so incredibly good to us. And so we give you all glory, all honor, and all praise. And in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. We're going to close this morning. We're going to sing this new song um, together one more time. And then um, I will uh, read a benediction over us.
receiving position. Um, I want to read a benediction over you um, from Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Go in peace and be blessed.